welcome back to another episode of Quotes This Week presented by Live Law. I am your host, Ostika Das, and I am excited to take you through the most important legal developments from this week. In this episode, we are going to talk about the Supreme Court's verdict on the legality of ED Director S.K. Mishra's latest term extension, a constitution bench hearing in a batch of petitions challenging the abrogation of Article 370, the Delhi government's plea against the Government of National Capital Territory Amendment Ordinance 2023 and more. Let's begin. In a major development, the Supreme Court has set aside the third extension granted to ED Director S.K. Mishra's term as illegal. Mishra was first appointed as the Director of the Enforcement Directorate in November 2018 for two years and granted three subsequent extensions by the central government. After his term was extended for the first time, a petition was filed in the Supreme Court by an, an NGO called Common Cause and a bench headed by Justice L. Nageshwara Rao held that such extensions to the terms of high-profile officeholders could only be granted in rare and exceptional cases and for a short period of time. But the court refused to interfere with the decision to extend Mishra's term, although it did caution the government that no further extension was to be granted to him, even going so far as to issue a specific mandamus directed towards Mishra. Now, despite this order, in November 2021, two ordinances were passed amending the Delhi Special Police Establishment Act 1946 and the Central Vigilance Commission Act 2003. These ordinances, which later culminated into acts, allowed the initial two-year-long tenure of both the CBI and ED directors to be extended by one year at a time till the completion of five years in total. After this law was passed, Mishra's term was extended in November 2021 and again in November of last year. Not only this latest extension granted to SK Mishra, but also the amendments to the DSPE and the CVC Acts were challenged in a batch of petitions filed by several activists and opposition leaders in the Supreme Court. The ruling in this batch of pleas was a mixed victory for the aggrieved petitioners. While a bench headed by Justice B.R. Gawai held that the third extension granted to Mishra was illegal inasmuch as it violated the mandate of the 2021 Common Cause Judgment and the specific mandamus issued against Mishra, the court rejected the challenge against the amendments to the DSPE and CVC Acts. The petitioners had argued that granting piecemeal or incremental extensions of not more than one year at a time would make the office of the directors of the Central Bureau of Investigation or the Enforcement Directorate susceptible to executive influence and chip away at the independence of the central agencies. The Supreme Court, however, noted that the extensions could not be granted at the sweet will of the government, but only after the selection committee that appointed the director in the first place records in writing its recommendation to extend their term in public interest. It is also to be noted that the Supreme Court bench has allowed Mishra to continue in his office till the end of this month. Taking into consideration the concerns expressed by the union government over the upcoming FATF peer review as well as to ensure a smooth transfer of power. In 2019, Article 370 of the Constitution was repealed and the former state of Jammu and Kashmir was stripped of its special status. Through the Jammu and Kashmir Reorganization Act, the state was also bifurcated in two union territories, the first being the union territory of Jammu and Kashmir and the second, the union territory of Ladakh. The abrogation of Article 370 led to much public debate and even the filing of a bunch of pleas before the Supreme Court challenging this move. 
After March 2020, when a constitution bench ruled that the issues involved in these pleas could be decided by a five-judge combination and therefore did not need to be referred to a larger bench, the matter was listed for the first time last week and taken up for directions. Notably, the central government has filed a fresh affidavit before the Supreme Court stating that its decision to dilute Article 370 has brought an unprecedented era of development, progress, security and stability to the region. The affidavit claimed, among other things, that over the past three years, schools, colleges, universities, hospitals and other public institutions have been functioning without any strikes or disturbances. Normalcy has returned in the valley and the youth of Kashmir brought to the mainstream owing to government's policies relating to employment and opportunities. It is the government's claim that the security situation in Jammu and Kashmir has also improved since its 2019 decision and terrorist recruitment has dropped. And to substantiate these contentions, it has provided data comparing 2018 figures to the figures in 2022. However, when the matter was taken up last week, Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachur made it very clear that the latest affidavit will not have any bearing on the merits of the matter relating to the constitutionality of abrogating Article 370. The Supreme Court is set to start hearing the petitions from 2nd August and like always, we will be there to provide updates, break down the legalese and help you stay on top of things. The Supreme Court has issued notice in a petition filed by the Delhi government challenging the Government of National Capital Territory Amendment Ordinance 2023, which sought to take away the powers of the Delhi government to control the civil servants operating within its jurisdiction. This ordinance was promulgated in May, one week after a constitution bench of the Supreme Court delivered a crucial verdict confirming that the control over administrative services in the national capital, barring those related to public order, police and land, belong to the government of the national capital territory of Delhi. The question of staying this ordinance will be considered this coming Monday by a bench headed by Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachur. It may be noted that in a separate plea, the Delhi government has also challenged the constitutionality of Section 45D of the ordinance, which stipulates that notwithstanding anything in any other law, all authorities, boards, commissions and statutory bodies in and for NCTD shall be constituted by members appointed by the President of India. Since its release, several PIL petitions have been filed against Om Roth's Adi Purush in various high courts across the country, praying for a ban on the public exhibition of the movie that is based on the Indian epic Ramayana. While hearing one such batch of pleas earlier this month, the Allahabad High Court objected to what it said was a shameful and disgusting portrayal of religious icons such as Hindu gods Ram, Sita and Hanuman and sought the personal presence of movie director Om Roth, producer Bhushan Kumar and dialogue writer Manoj Muntashir Shukla to defend themselves in person. The movie makers have now approached the Supreme Court challenging this direction by the Allahabad High Court requiring their personal presence. This is a developing story and we will keep you updated as we get more information. The northeastern state of Manipur has been plunged in a frenzy of violence since May over a high court order directing the state government to consider including the non-tribal Métis community in the list of scheduled tribes. This order led to ethnic clashes breaking out between the Métis and the tribal Naga and Kukis. 
The Supreme Court has been hearing a couple of petitions regarding the ethnic violence in Manipur. The first one is a petition filed by the Manipur Tribal Forum Delhi seeking the protection of the Kuki tribe by the Indian Army and the second is a plea by a BJP MLA from Manipur challenging the direction of the Manipur High Court. This week, while a bench headed by Chief Justice Chandrachur observed that the court cannot take over the responsibility of maintaining law and order from the elected government, it called for constructive suggestions from the petitioners which could be considered by the government while leaving out the aspect of security measures for the executive to hand in. In response, advocate Nizam Pasha on behalf of Zomi Students Federation of India provided 13 suggestions such as the designation of an officer to enable the process of identification and handover of the deceased, many of whom are still lying unidentified and unclaimed in mortuaries across the state, deputing doctors to meet an acute shortage, addressing the paucity of essential medicines and certain biomedical instruments, etc. The court said that apart from three, suggestions which Solicitor General Tushar Mehta said needed to be discussed at the level of the state administration before implementing them. Positive action with respect to all other suggestions are to be taken on or before this Friday. The council was also lauded by the bench for his valuable and fair suggestions aimed at mitigating the ongoing crisis. In related news, the Supreme Court granted interim protection from arrest to an advocate after an FIR was registered by the Manipur police slapping charges of sedition, conspiracy to wage war against her. The advocate, one Diksha Dwedi, was part of a three-member team of the National Federation of Indian Women, which is associated with the Communist Party of India. The fact-finding team held a press conference after visiting Manipur, declaring that the ethnic clashes in the state were the result of state-sponsored violence. Taking objection to the statement, one S. Livin Singh filed an FIR against her and CPI leader Annie Raja and NFIW General Secretary Nisha Sidhu. While hearing an Article 32 petition filed by her, not only did a bench led by Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachur grant her interim protection from arrest, but also directed the Solicitor General to take instructions on the background of this case. When the matter came up again later in the week, it was relisted to be heard in the coming week since the law officer was not present and interim protection was extended till then. The Supreme Court has issued notice in a petition by the Uddhav Thakre-led Shiv Sena seeking a direction to the Maharashtra Legislative Assembly Speaker to expeditiously decide on the disqualification pleas pending against rebel MLAs led by Shinde. These MLAs and Shinde were responsible for carrying out a coup last year that led to the fall of the previous Mahavikas Agadi government. These disqualification pleas have been pending for over a year and this development comes nearly a month after a constitution bench judgment relating to the Shiv Sena rift. In this judgment, the top court had held that it could not order the restoration of the Uddhav Thakre government as Thakre had resigned without facing a floor test. Further, the Supreme Court refused to adjudicate the disqualification petition itself, saying that there was no extraordinary ground for such an exercise of power. Accordingly, the court had handed over the decision of determining the disqualification petitions to the Speaker, adding that the Speaker must decide the petitions within a reasonable period. The Supreme Court has issued notice in the petitions filed by Aam Admi Party leader and former Delhi Deputy Chief Minister Manish Sisodia seeking bail in the cases registered by the CBI and ED in connection with the alleged Delhi liquor policy scam. 
This liquor policy was put in place to boost revenue and reform liquor trade in the national capital in 2021, but had to be later withdrawn after allegations of irregularities in its implementation surfaced. The ED and the CBI have claimed that this policy, which sought to completely privatize liquor trade in the national capital, was used to grant undue advantage to private entities at the cost of the public exchequer and smacked of corruption. Both the ED and CBI investigations, which led to the arrest of, among others, Manish Sisodia, are currently underway. Sisodia has been in custody since February of this year. His bail applications in both cases, investigated by the CBI and the ED respectively, were rejected first by a special judge and later by the Delhi High Court. In a follow-up to the 2018 landmark Tehseen Poonawala judgment, in which the Supreme Court had issued several directions to the Union and states regarding measures to prevent mob lynching, a bench headed by Justice Sanjeev Khanna last week directed the state governments to share data regarding instances of mob lynching. Accepting a suggestion made by Attorney General for India R. Venkata Ramani, the bench directed that the Ministry of Home Affairs would convene a meeting of the state department heads for consolidation of the data relating to preventive and remedial measures taken as per the 2018 judgment. The ministry will then have to file an affidavit within 30th September explaining the outcome of the meeting. The court also directed the states to file Again, within 30th of September, a status report before the Home Ministry containing year-wise data on complaints received, FIRs registered, charge sheets filed, as well as the preventive and remedial measures taken by them. During the hearing, Justice Khanna also orally observed that vigilantism was not permissible and needed to be checked. The Supreme Court has refused to entertain a plea challenging notifications by the RBI and the SBI permitting exchange of Rs 2,000 currency notes without requirement of any identity proof. This plea was filed by advocate Ashwini Upadhyay, who argued that the government's decision not to insist on identity proof for the exchange of Rs 2,000 notes, which are currently being withdrawn from circulation, encouraged black money, money laundering, profiteering and other such activities. While dismissing this petition, the bench noted not only the impracticality of requiring identity proof for exchange of Rs 2000 currency notes, but also pointed out that the decision fell within the ambit of executive policy and not judicial discretion. The Supreme Court has refused to interfere with the Calcutta High Court's order allowing the Enforcement Directorate to summon Trinamool Congress leader and MP Obishek Banerjee in relation to the teacher recruitment scam in the state. While deciding a petition filed by Banerjee against the High Court's order, a bench led by Chief Justice D.Y. Chandratu said that the investigation cannot be stifled at an incipient stage. However, it clarified that the petitioner would be at liberty to seek other remedies available under law. For those who are unaware, at the heart of this controversy is a PIL pending before the Calcutta High Court alleging irregularities and corruption in the recruitment of assistant teachers in primary schools of the state on the basis of the 2014 teacher eligibility test. The High Court has directed the CBI and the ED to investigate the recruitment scam and permitted the central agencies to question Obishek Banerjee, the National General Secretary of the ruling Trinamool Congress Party and nephew of Chief Minister Mamata Banerjee in this connection. Last week, we told you that a division bench of the Madras High Court delivered a split verdict with respect to the question of whether the arrest of DMK MP and Tamil Nadu Minister V. Senthil Balaji by the Enforcement Directorate amounted to illegal detention. 
This week, Justice C. V. Karthikeya, who was assigned by the Chief Justice to resolve the split decision in this habeas corpus petition, has settled the conflicting views by holding that the central agency was entitled to seek the custody of the minister in a money laundering case over an alleged cash for job scam in the state. While Justice Nisha Banu had observed that the habeas corpus petition filed by Balaji's family was maintainable since, among other reasons, the ED officers did not have the powers of a station house officer under the PMLA and therefore could not have moved for custody of the minister. On the other hand, Justice Bharta Chakraborty said that ED officers were competent to seek custody and that Balaji's family had not made out a case of illegal custody or mechanical remand order which could have warranted the interference of the High Court by way of a habeas corpus petition. The third judge to whom the matter was referred to following the split ruled in favour of the Enforcement Directorate. Endorsing the view of Justice Chakraborty, Justice Karthikeya held that while officers of the ED were not police officers, they were competent to take an accused into custody for further investigation and the right of the agency to get custody could not be denied. Raising concerns about the increase in criminal cases involving minors in consensual sexual relationships, the Bombay High Court called for a shift from a punitive approach towards adolescent sexuality to one that enables access to sexual and reproductive health services. A single judge bench of Bharti Dangre said, and I quote, The mere apprehension that adolescents would make an impulsive and bad decision cannot classify them under one head and by ignoring their will and wishes. The age of consent necessarily has to be distinguished from the age of marriage as sexual acts do not happen only in the confines of marriage and not only the society but the judicial system must take note of this important aspect. These observations were made while acquitting a man convicted under the POXO for raping a minor girl in 2016. Both the man who was 25 years old in 2016 and the girl who was 17 years old claimed that they were in a consensual relationship. Even the trial court had observed that the relationship was consensual but convicted the man nevertheless on the ground that a sexual relationship with a minor amounted to rape regardless of their consent. Notably, Justice Dangre of the Bombay High Court observed that the criminalization of romantic relationships has burdened the justice system, consuming significant time and resources, while ultimately the victim turned hostile. The court also stressed the importance of striking a balance between the protection of vulnerable classes and those capable of deciding what is right for them. We have come to an end of this episode. But before we end, I have a small appeal from the team here at Live Law. We are an independent, fact-driven media organization that is committed to fearless and ethical journalism. And in order to survive and keep bringing you your daily and weekly doses of legal news, especially in an audiovisual format, we need your support. Therefore, don't forget to do the six things we always ask you to do. Like our video, share it with your family, friends, classmates and colleagues, subscribe to our YouTube channel, comment your thoughts and feedback below, Hit the bell icon to turn on your notifications and finally, visit our website www.livelaw.in to read our detailed reports. I am your host, Ostika Das and I will see you again next time.